makes their way downstairs, I invite you all upstairs to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And from the Confession and Assurance earlier, we know that, that today we come to the sin of lust. And as we do so, I just want to invite you to maybe remember or hear why, why this is such an important move of sin to virtue that we make. It's because lust is always extremely appealing. And, and we're not just talking about lust as sex. Though it is that, that's not all there is to it. Although, we'll get there, one quote just to, to hold on to as we, as we approach lust and think about faithfulness was one of the early church fathers, uh, St. Augustine, once prayed this prayer about lust, knowing that Augustine um, had had multiple affairs and had a very um, cavalier life. His prayer was this, Lord, cure me of my lust, but not yet. That stings a little bit, doesn't it? There's something about this vice that makes us want to hold on to it, to not let go of the appeal that it holds over us. But as we, as we move towards that, just the quick reminder of where we were. When it comes to sloth, moving from sloth to diligence, we are reminded that it is always easier to complain than to act. It's always easier to talk ourselves out of doing something. It's always easier to surrender the desire to do action, or to just disengage at the first sign of resistance. And as a recap from last week, I just want to offer this quote uh, from Teddy Roosevelt, former president, about how easily we might give up and settle instead of diligence and doing for passivity and sloth. The quote is this from Teddy Roosevelt, It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man, or I would add, or woman, who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows is in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat." Friends, if we pursue diligence over sloth, we will come against resistance, and it will be difficult, and we will probably feel like giving up or going back to an older way. Remain diligent, because if sloth does not get moved to diligence, then we'll never make any progress going down the rest of the list. But instead, today we come to 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 through 17, as we think about lust, rooting it out and putting faithfulness in its place. So we're going to read um, from 
the NIV, the 2011 version, and some of your pew Bibles will be 1984. Uh, but after the reading of the NIV, I'm also going to read the King James Version because there's one thing that the King James does that keeps a word in the Greek very consistent throughout the passage that not all other translations do. So we're going to read the NIV, and I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and if you are grateful, say, thanks be to God. And then we'll actually do the same thing with the King James Version. So I just invite you to hear the same text, two different translations, and pay attention for how the word of the Lord speaks to you today. But before we come to the reading of God's word, let's pray. God, you are faithful, and your word does not return void. It did not in the days of the prophets or the apostles. It did not through the church's history, and your word does not return void to us today. For you, O Lord, are faithful. So in your faithfulness, speak to us today, O God. Amen. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes from the Father. It comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now just also hear the same passage in the King James. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone love the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world." And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, lust is simply the distortion of love. It is a hollow imitation of the real thing. Lust will never deliver on what it seems to promise because no matter how you dress it up, it's still hollow on the inside. It makes me think of those, what I think are rather disappointing chocolate Easter bunnies. Not the solid ones, not the ones that are so full and rich that, that you sink your teeth into them and, and you can't eat the whole thing in one sitting, you'll get sick. But I think of lust as those disappointing, hollow Easter bunnies. Do you know which ones I'm talking about? The ones where they, they look just as good as anything else. But as soon as you bite into the ear or the tail, however you choose to devour your Easter bunnies, once you bite into it, you get that, that stale air is on the inside. And, and that's just gross to me. I mean, every single Easter, it was like I wanted to just... I would tap them to make sure, like, is this a solid Easter bunny or a hollow one? Because when you bite into the hollow Easter bunnies, that stale air taste ruins the taste of the chocolate. It doesn't matter how fresh that bunny is. 
that hollow, stale air ruins the whole experience. Thus is the same of, of lust of any kind. It might look the same. It might have all the same appeal. It might be really hard to tell the difference. And it might fill you with desire that, that you are going to love eating this bunny. But then it's just disappointing. It's hollow. And it ruins the whole experience. Ugh. Every time I think of those, they just... Ugh. Those disappointing Easter bunnies are a great analogy for how lust can trick us and how ultimately it will ruin the otherwise fulfilling experience of loving something well. Lust is at worst the perversion of love and even at best is still a distortion of loving something that is true and good. And we might hear in those words from 1 John to, to not love the world or anything in the world, that the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they don't come from God. They come from the world. And to not love these temporary things that will pass away, don't love these imitations or distortions of what God has made. In essence, don't give the best of your love. Don't give the best of your love of who you are to the world because it's not true love that will last in steadfast faithfulness. It's just a lust over temporary things that will turn out to be hollow. The King James nails it with using the word abide or abideth because to abide is to remain steadfast, to not be distracted or taken off course, to not be deceived or tricked, but to stand firm where we need to be. To abide is to remain steadfast. And, and faithfulness, a fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, is the fruit of remaining steadfast. Steadfast or being faithful, faithful or being steadfast. They're interchangeable. This is the antidote to the poison of lust. Because lust will always lead us to pursue things that will not abide. They won't bring lasting value. They'll be washed away. They won't stand the test of time. And they won't prove to be worthy investments of our love. And when our human nature is so easily deceived and led astray, we will pursue things that are not of lasting value. Love, true love from God that leads us back to God will always lead us to invest in that which is of lasting value, worthy investments of our love. And our love is comprised of effort and energy and perseverance. And our whole end game in this series is not to just be culturally savvy about what the seven deadly sins are, but our true end game is do we grow in the virtues that lead us to love God and neighbor? That is the end game of all of this, is to grow in loving God and neighbor with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To not love the things that will pass away, as 1 John says, but to do the will of God and in so doing, live forever, and to, and to leave a legacy and effort that has lasting impact. 
the worldly and temporary things, they'll pass away. Now, make no mistake, God does love this temporary world we live in. Look at John 3.16, if that's in any question for you. But God loves the world and us with an eternal and steadfast, faithful love. And our call, in fact, what the Holy Spirit enables us to do is to love beyond the temporary and false and instead love into the eternal and true. Now, I get that that might sound a little bit high and lofty. You might still be thinking about how much of your driveway you have to shovel when you get home. So let's just break this down a second. Our growing into the virtue of faithfulness, growing into the virtue of faithfulness to root out the sin of lust, starts with knowing and trusting God's faithfulness. Because God's love for you is steadfast and eternal. Jesus' forgiveness of your sins, even the sins of lust, Jesus' forgiveness is permanent and the highest degree of faithfulness possible, which is why Jesus would die on the cross for our sins and rise again for our salvation. His love and forgiveness is faithful and permanent. And that's where we have to start if we're to make any progress on, on rooting out lust and putting faithfulness in its place is to start by dwelling on God's faithfulness. Even to write down, to reflect on the ways, how has God been faithful to you in and through your life? Sometimes hardships are hard to see in the middle of them, but when we look back over time, when we reflect over where God has shown up in our lives, when we do so prayerfully, we might see the ways in which God was at work that we didn't see before. And then to ask maybe some hard questions. Does your living and loving imitate God's faithfulness? The way you live and the way you love, does it imitate God's faithfulness? Or does it sound more like this worldly version that 1 John speaks of? Does your love resemble a steadfast love that you can imagine God approving of? And remember, sometimes it does. And other times, not so much. The things that you claim to love, is it a type of love that you would believe that God would approve of? We prayerfully begin to realize within ourselves the areas that maybe we're not so faithful. And along the way, some of the fuel for our own resolve is to know the areas that we are faithful. With diligence, we begin to pursue the love of God and neighbor, and we do so with faithfulness. That we don't view our neighbors as objects, that we don't view people as objects for our gratification, but that we love people the way God loves people. The four-point questions given to us from centuries of the church paying attention to faithfulness are these. Do you believe that God loves you? with faithfulness? Do you love your neighbor with faithfulness? Do you love God with faithfulness? And do you believe God loves your neighbor? If God loves your neighbor, it will make you think twice about lusting after them because you have to see them as the person that God sees, not as a more hollow deception of love that we might be tempted to see. Lust is a perversion of love. 
that will make us fall in love with hollow pursuits that don't last, and it will make us hollow in the process, like those gross, hollow Easter bunnies. Lust is the same. And we can't talk about lust without talking about sex a little bit. And sexually, lust works just the same. You see something that looks appealing, but it's never as good. It is not fulfilling because lust cannot deliver on what it promises because it's hollow. And how can we stand up to such strong temptations? Because we might often hear, I I just can't help myself, or things become habits that turn into addictions. How can we hold up against such strong temptations? Well, C.S. Lewis gives us a different framework to use, something I've always appreciated. C.S. Lewis, the same author who brought us the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, also wrote this in an essay called The Weight of Glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. What if it's not that our sinful desires are too strong, but that our desire for good and wholeness is too weak, that the mustering of self-discipline to apply ourselves to something good is where we falter. Self-control is the method by which we hold ourselves back from something bad, but self-discipline is the way by which we apply ourselves to something good. And self-control, holding ourselves away from that which is bad, will never hold up if we do not have the self-discipline to apply our hearts to that which is good. Lust is not just a desire for sexual satisfaction that is too strong and can't be overcome. Often it's a reminder that we are too easily satisfied by anything less than the real thing, by experiences that are hollow. And we don't need to elaborate on all the different forms that that takes. Some of these are conversations for mom and dad to have at home. But I would invite you to consider a psychological need that is associated with lust. And this, my friends, is the stuff that blows my mind about how God has been at work and how the Holy Spirit has been faithful for centuries. Because what what Pope Gregory and Thomas Aquinas and Augustine write about lust happened centuries before Wilhelm Wundt and the birth of what we know as psychology, Long before there was scientists called psychologists, people in the church were writing about human nature, and they were getting things right centuries ahead of their time. What church tradition has held up has been affirmed by modern psychology, and it is this. The psychological need associated with lust is not just sex. It is linked with a desire for power and control. If you were asked on the street what link, what psychological need is associated with lust, you'd probably think sex. But the need is power and control. 
the need to be in charge of something or anything, often to compensate for our fears or from the terrifying moments where we feel that we're not in control. It plays out pretty readily when we think with this framework. It's easier to have quick sex with someone than to commit to a person for life, to love someone faithfully. And to just ask that question to dwell on, how committed do you think God is to you? How faithful do you think God is to you? If that's the measure of faithfulness that we can believe in and pursue, that's the foundation for everything else. Do you think God is only interested in you for one or two things that you can do? Or does God love your entire being, your whole personhood? Lust stems from this desire for power and control, for gaining a little bit more control over these worldly things that First John speaks of, that the world and its desires will pass away, that, that in this rat race that we find ourselves so often, we just want to have some control. We just want to be in charge. We just want that assurance that comes from us. And that's easier than trusting in God's faithfulness. It's easier to look at pornography than to invest in your spouse because there's no fear of rejection. You're in total control with no chance of being turned down and you are in charge of the whole experience. So whether you're 16 years old or married for 16 years, fear of rejection, loss of control, and a need for power and fulfillment will create lust. And how it manifests, what shape and form it takes from there, that's probably a little bit different for every person. But there's definitely some patterns. Remember, lust is bigger than just that. But our culture is just more obsessed with sex than with a lot of other things. And that's why I'd offer the example, coming back to chocolate, I guess, that we might lust after a bite of chocolate for the same reasons, that, that we have had a stressful day, everything seems out of control, our circumstances are a little bit overwhelming, we feel like we're going to go into a tailspin at any moment, and we just want some quick comfort. And so we lust after maybe a piece of chocolate or a glass of wine for the pleasure that it gives because they can't reject us. We know we're in charge of the experience, but the pleasure they bring, it will be a temporary worldly pleasure that will pass quickly. It won't last. And when we get to gluttony in a few weeks, we'll talk more about appetites knowing that just as lust is more than just sex, gluttony is not just food. Food's just an analogy. Gluttony is about appetites for entertainment, for power, all kinds of other appetites that really have nothing to do with our stomachs. But Jesus enjoyed the good things of this life. Jesus enjoyed the best of creation, the creation that God declared is good, but when our desires, when our lusts, when our enjoyments of creation get warped, temptation will root in, and it will put in roots deep. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that whoever looks with lust has already committed adultery in their heart. Easy to happen. Especially if faithfulness is not our driving force, that it's about more than just getting rid of lust, 
but that it's growing in faithfulness. And that has to start with an understanding of knowing God's faithful love to you and to view your neighbor as one who God loves. And so let's close with this thought. Where does lust come from? It comes from feelings when we lack power and control and when we are afraid. And Jesus knows the hollow part of your heart when you are afraid, when your circumstances are overwhelming. Jesus is no stranger to that. Jesus knows the circumstances that scare you most, and Jesus knows that you'll be tempted. And to know that already, 2,000 years ago, Jesus has already forgiven the moments when we choose the sin that we're tempted with. Because Jesus loves and forgives you. Because Jesus loves you for your whole personhood, your whole being. Jesus loves you for all of you and says, go and do likewise. Love other people as whole people. So don't look at your neighbor with lust and only see them as a sexual object. See them the way Jesus sees them. Know God's faithful love and trust it. Learn to trust it. Diligently apply yourself to trusting God's faithful love for you and to believe that this is the best love that there is. And maybe you don't fully believe that in your heart yet. Trust God's love and know God's intent for our lives and that the pursuits that God has in mind for us are those that have lasting value that the pursuits that God has in mind for our lives are not ones that will leave us with regret or fill us with shame, but that even when we do fail, if we fail in love, if we fail being faithful, that we can still know that this was good learning and that we are resting in God's love and that our failures matter less than it would to never try at all. God's love is the purest, highest and realest. Faithfully pursue that love. Not the world or anything in the world, but make sure that the love of the Father is in you. Friends, we'll be tempted by easy and instant gratification, and we will be weakest to those temptations when we're stressed and afraid. But guess what? Jesus is not a stranger to our sins or our temptations, nor will he turn our back on us in our moment of need. Focus this week, maybe by singing to yourself, great is thy faithfulness, O God. This is where it starts, and this is the foundation that we build something of lasting value, that the world no longer pulls or distracts us from side to side, Friends, find your strength in God's faithfulness. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, help us in our hearts to strive well, to admit to you the areas in our life that we don't trust you with, and instead to reflect on your faithfulness until we believe it wholeheartedly. Lord, help us to 
pursue things that matter. Not distortions of love, but pure love. Pursuits of love that you would approve of. Lord, help us to fail daring greatly than to sit on the sidelines and passively let ourselves be pushed about. As the unpaddled boat will always go downstream, help us to remember that you are our strength, that we may paddle upstream towards your goodness, your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness, and your faithfulness. Lord, in all of this, strengthen us by your Holy Spirit that our hearts will not be satisfied until they rest in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.